So your best friend is the person that knows you better than anybody. They're there for you through thick and thin. And they're the person that you want to spend the most time with. But what happens if your best friend actually turns out to be your worst enemy? Or what happens if your best friends desert you when you get abducted by aliens? Oh, no. I'm Sarah. I'm Allison. And we're two girls and a campfire. And this week, we are talking about best friends. Best friends! Yay! I'm so excited. Hi, best friend. Yeah, exactly. Who's my best friend? (laughs) How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. I've been um, binging everything on Netflix this week. Have you watched the Fear Street movies? The what movies? Fear Street, like the books? Oh, no, I haven't. I'm so disappointed in you right now. (laughs) This is what happens when best friends turn bad. Okay, this right here. (laughs) I honestly, I've kind of not been watching TV. I've had a lot of work lately so I I'm like missing tv time though oh good well vacay we'll have to watch them and also did you hear about American Horror Stories is doing like called American Horror Stories and they have like episodes that are like I think they're like individual yeah I saw that did you watch them I gotta be honest I kind of stopped watching the American Horror Stories a little early on because as soon as they tried to do two seasons a year, like the writing, I feel like just went down the fucking toilet. So I haven't watched them yet, but also my thing with them is their, their seasons like start off really good. And then I feel about just past halfway, they're like, fuck, are we done yet? And then they're just like, Meh. That or they just start throwing so much shit in there. They're like, it reminds me of Cabin in the Woods where they're just like fucking drawing names for shit and throwing it in there. Oh, look, Merman. Okay, stick those in there. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed enjoyed the first one, The Murder House. I really enjoyed the carna- the one set in the carnival. And I really enjoyed the hotel one with Lady Gaga. I didn't watch Hotel. Ah. I really thought that was the best one. Like, truly, I did. And then after that, I don't remember which one came next, but I feel like I tried to watch it. Oh, I watched the one where they were all, like, in the house together. And it was, like, then there was, like, these... Is that cult? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was... I thought that was... That one was so disappointing to me that I literally was, like, I'm not watching this anymore. And I haven't. I watched the first, like, three and a half seasons. I couldn't get through Freak Show... And then I watched the first episode of Hotel. And then I watched all of 1984. And I really, really liked that. But it's that super campy, you know, kids at summer camp and serial killers. So I I like campy, but I feel like it's hard to transition from not campy, you know, and then like to take it to that place. That's kind of how the the one felt that I watched. It, it, It just felt like really campy and like totally not. Not that any of them are really like plausible, but (laughs) it just, I don't know. Maybe I'll try 1984. I'll try to watch it. Or maybe I'll watch the new ones. We'll see what happens. All right. Today, I'm telling, okay, so it started with a best friend alien abduction. And then I got kind of in this crazy alien abduction hole. So I have kind of three stories. One is Travis Walton. And he was a forestry worker um, near Snowflake, Arizona, which I feel is like the most ironic name for fucking Arizona, but whatever. So back in November of 1975, he was working on a crew out in this forest in the middle of the nowhere. And him and I think six other co-workers are out after work driving down some desolate road on their way home. And they like look out their window and they see kind of like lights in the sky, not like specific, like a glow. So at first they think, well, maybe there's like a forest fire or something. And they keep driving and they see what turns out to be a saucer shaped object. So they stop their truck when they're like about 100 feet away. And Travis decides, because he's a man and they make dumb decisions, to get out of the car and go walk towards whatever the hell this flying saucer is, right? So his friends are watching. He gets about halfway between the truck and the saucer and a beam of light comes down and Travis says it knocked him out. But at the same time, it like sucked his body up into the flying saucer. So all his friends are like literally shitting. Okay, so 
it knocked him out, but does he remember being sucked up into the saucer? Yes, he remembers, like, he remembers the beam, like, coming down, and then he, like, felt like he lost consciousness, sort of. So his friends are there. They're in this truck. He fucking disappears. They shit their pants, and they're like, okay, we're getting the hell out of here, and they fucking leave him. So they go back to town, they get the sheriff's department and they're like, hey, so our friend disappeared. And the cops are like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? So pretty much for the next five days, the cops are searching. They have sent dogs, they have helicopters, they're out there. They're looking for a dead body. They pretty much think that these guys got together, killed their friend, dumped his ass somewhere and then tried to cover it up with this alien abduction story right remind me of the year what year is this 1975 all the good stuff happened in the 70s the cops are really cynical (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you came out of the woods like here there's six of us this one guy i don't know he disappeared the cops would be like what the hell is wrong with you um so he's gone for five days and they find him walking along a, f- a highway. He doesn't know how he got there. So he comes to as he's walking along on this highway and he has a vague recommend. So like I said, he said he got knocked out and then he woke up in what he describes as looking kind of like a hospital room. And he said there are three short bald creatures standing around him. And so also in true man fashion, he comes to and decides he should fight them. So he wakes up swinging. And then he said that a human came and held him down and they put a mask on his face. I mean, and I don't know what he's actually talking about, but my thought would be like when you go to surgery and they start to sedate you and they put the mask on your face and like gas you. So that's what I'm imagining. And then he blacks out and then he has no other memories until he's found walking on the highway. After he reappears and the media start covering his story and you know, his tale of being abducted, the National Enquirer gives them a call and they say, okay, if you can pass a lie detector test, we will give each one of you, so him and his six friends, $5,000 and you will be our best UFO case of the year. So they go take lie detector tests. They all pass. The National Enquirer pays them each five grand, which in today is like 25 grand. So... It's a good chunk of money. Does does the National Enquirer still exist? I bet they have a website. Yeah, I haven't seen one of the grocery store in a while. <laughs> they have a Patreon. Ah, <laughs> uh, you go on their Patreon and they're like, "Here's these are Patreon exclusive pictures of Bigfoot." We should check that out. We should. Um, check okay, out. yeah, cool. So that's like a good chunk of money. Like this is a big story. This is going to sell a lot of a lot of magazines for them. Right. Okay. So then three years later, Travis decides that he should write a book as you do. That's how you extend your 10 minutes of fame, right? You write a book and he titled it the Walton experience. Really? That's, that's what you came up with. Okay. Also. Okay. So you remember being knocked out. You remember waking up and fighting and then you remember getting knocked out again. How the hell do you write a book? of shit that takes up three sentences. That actually turns into a problem. So in 1993, they decide, yeah, let's make a movie about his abduction. Well, turns out you can't make a movie about fucking three sentences either. So they pretty much took him getting sucked into the UFO and then completely made everything else up so that movie was called I, you've seen this movie though yes so it came out in three and i was 11 and i vaguely remember watching it as a kid i remember them in the woods and then i remember when he gets like sucked up because he does this weird thing where he like shoves his arms behind his own back and like sticks his chest out and it looks super weird so i remember that did, but actually, is there a i discovered today that it's on amazon prime so you can totally go watch it And I was going to watch it this morning, but I work nights and I watched it when I got home from work at seven in the morning. So I made it like 10 minutes and I fell asleep. So good times. Um, But yeah, it was super cheesy because it was made in 93. So I mean, what do we expect? So he kind of makes a life as this UFO expert. He goes to like all kinds of you. Yeah, I think punching an alien qualifies you as an expert. (laughs) 
I mean, what's your claim to fame, right? Like everybody needs something. And I think it's funny. So that was like 75 and he was probably 20s. So he's fucking old now. And he's going around to conventions like currently. <laughs> and I just keep thinking of like the old guy that like hangs out at like high school football games that used to be the quarterback and has no life. <laughs> And so that's how I feel like he's just like at these conventions and people are like, why are you still here? <laughs> Go home. <laughs> I was the original abductee. I, I, fucking you, I, swear, I hope that. he has swag that says, oh God, that would be so good. first human to punch an alien. It wasn't enough for him just to go to other people's conventions. He has his own <laughs> that he sponsors called oh my gosh sky fire summit so in the late 90s early 2000s there was some game show called the moment of truth that was on fox i don't remember it but pretty much it sounded like it was kind of like two truths and a lie and you had to kind of convince people that you were telling the truth and then i think in order to win you had to like pass a polygraph he fails like i he said failed that was- the polygraph <laughs> yeah Yes. On Um, national television? Yes. I'm really sad I couldn't find the episode to watch on YouTube. But yeah, so he failed it. And so apparently that didn't matter though. So that was like 2000. And just this year in January, he was on the Joe Rogan experience. So he's still out there with his alien experience and telling people how it is because he's now an expert. So shockingly enough. He's really milking it. Right? I will give him that. That's very entrepreneurial of him. Like, he fucking had that shit down. Obviously, people think it was a hoax to make money. And in the movie Fire in the Sky, that's like a big thing before he gets abducted. And they talk about, oh, he wants to get married and he doesn't have any money. And all the guys that work in the forestry service are like broke and gamblers and they all need money. So that was something that they played up a lot in the movie. Other people say that the polygraphs that they did pass back in the 70s were poorly given. They weren't given by credible polygraph givers. I don't know what you call them. And there's been a lot of discrepancies in his stories, which I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I did a week ago. Like, I can't remember shit that happened 30 years ago. Apparently, that's not okay if you, like, are an expert. You have to keep your shit together. Well, he wrote a book. He should have wrote that shit down. (laughs) Right? Go back and reread, like, come on, just to refresh your memory. And then I thought this was super funny. So Susan Clancy is a cognitive psychologist, which I don't know what that is, but whatever. And she says that all of these alien abductions and sightings and whatever that kind of started happening were because of movies and tv shows so for example two weeks before he was abducted the movie the ufo incident aired on like cable tv and the ufo incident is based on the alien abduction story of betty and barney hill which i was vaguely familiar with so then i went down that rabbit hole too so They were abducted in New Hampshire in 1961. So Travis can say that he was the first to punch an alien, but Betty and Barney Hill's abduction story was the first widely publicized uh, UFO story in the U.S. So before them, there wasn't a whole lot anybody talked about. So again, because I, you know, I might have noticed a theme here. They're driving down some lonely, desolate road at 1030 at night and they see this huge, like, 60-foot-long saucer. (laughs) This is my favorite part of the story. Barney said it looked like a pancake. So the aliens came down in their giant pancake, and then it started following. So they are kind of keep driving, and they can see, you know, in the rearview mirror that it's, like, following them. And then it came and was, like, right over there. He kind of freaks out, stops the car. And again, with the men making these freaking brilliant decisions... He gets out of his car with a pair of binoculars, which who the hell is binoculars in their car? Um, I do. Why? How? Okay. Hold on. First, why do you have them? Two, how often have you used them? In all honesty, I don't think I've ever used them. Actually, that's not true. I feel like we stopped on the, we were like driving and we saw something and we like got out of the car and we're trying to look at it. And my wife was like, hey, there's a pair of binoculars in the trunk. So 
We didn't need binoculars. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you looking at, Bigfoot? So I really like birds and my wife likes birds. And so I think it was a bird actually that we were like, oh, look at that cool bird. I know we're like 800 year old people driving around. <laughs> we're old ladies going oh birding on our Sunday drives. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So he gets out of the car and at the time the UFO is like 80 to a hundred feet directly above their car. So he looks up and sees eight to 10 humanoid looking figures just chilling, looking out the windows of the pancake. Apparently pancakes have windows. So he yells, they're going to capture us. And then he jumps back in the car and takes off speeding away. So the saucer keeps flying right. Wait, where's Betty? She's in the car. She was smart. She didn't get freaking out. She's like, you're stupid. I'm going to stay. He didn't leave her. No, she never got out. So she's still in the car. Hopefully he left the car keys. So like she could have left by herself if she needed to be. So it starts flying right over their car. And they say they can hear like buzzing and beeping noises coming from it. Unlike Travis, who said that he was, you know, unconscious or whatever, they just said that they kind of had like an altered mental status and like they felt like their mind was dull and they weren't not really with it. Then when their like mind cleared and they were kind of completely back, you know, fully conscious, they had traveled 35 miles and they didn't really have a memory of driving that far in the car this goes on Betty starts having some dreams another one of their kind of claim to fame was she goes and gets hypnotized to kind of get her memories back and she draws a map that she says one of the aliens had shown her and she said that he had told her he she could take it back with her when she left the aircraft but then other people on the ship were like no she can't have it So she looked at it. And so when she went under um, hypnosis, she drew it. And so the big thing with that is that in the 60s, whatever star map she drew, we weren't aware of where it was in the universe. And they were like, oh, that's not a thing. We don't know where that is. And then years later, and I don't know how exactly they matched it up. But now they're saying that it's in this far, you know, reach of space and those stars map up to what she drew. So again, a lot of people think it was a hoax. One person said that, said they were abducted because they had PTSD because they were a biracial couple in the sixties. Well, the funny thing with that is they were like, we actually didn't have any problems being biracial. Our family didn't care. Work didn't care. We were never, you know, we'd never experienced prejudice or anything like that. So they were like, we don't think that's it at all. And then Jim McDonald, I didn't write down, so I can't remember who he was, but he tried to say that instead of a UFO, what they actually saw was an aircraft warning beacon. So literally the flashy light you see on top of a mountain, he thinks you can, you saw that and somehow it became a 60 foot long pancake with people looking out the windows. And he said, you know, that's what started it. And then the rest was caused by, you know, they were stressed and sleep deprived and I'm pretty sleep deprived and I've yet to see a UFO. So I'm kind of salty about that. Like if my mind could like get it shit together, like, come on. So in another strange twist or turn of events. So while Betty was getting her hypnosis and drawing that star map Barney was being hypnotized and he comes back and draws a picture of what the alien looked like well just like with Travis two weeks before he drew that picture a show called the outer limits aired an episode with aliens in it and guess who's alien pretty much exactly matched the one in the outer limits so maybe she knew what she was talking about when she said that All of this stuff was caused by TV. Um, And then I found one other one because apparently if you're going to get abducted by aliens, you have to be with your best friend. So let's keep that in mind when we're on vacation next week. Um, This one also in 1973 because nothing happens except for in the 70s. Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson were co-workers. Hickson was 42 and Calvin was only 19. They worked together all day and decided, hey, let's go fishing. So 
at about 6.30 at night, they're out there fishing and they see a football shaped object in the sky and it has bright blue lights on it and it's about eight feet long. They said it was like 6.30 and then they said, oh, it was dark, but the moon was out so we could see. I'm like, who goes fishing in the dark and why is it dark at 6.30 at night? It's weird. But so they see the UFO. They say that three legless creatures, because you're an alien, why do you need legs? We're past that. Uh, they came- and no legs? Evolution. You don't need legs. Ew. <laughs> they float down from the foe. Okay, this part is fucking creepy though. <laughs> he said they had like mitten or crab claw hands. So like a thumb and then like, I don't know, big chunk. Like, ew, that's terrible. Those are terrible aliens. I don't want to meet those ones. And he said they grabbed his arm. And as they grabbed him, because obviously he was freaking out, they must have injected him with something because he immediately felt very calm. So apparently your crab claws are filled with like Ativan and then you can just squish people. I need that at work. That would be fucking awesome for my poor dementia patient that I just go up and like give their arm a little squeeze and they just like chill out. That'd be great. I need to invent that. I just want that to like go to the grocery store. <laughs> As you're like walking past people, you're like, I need you to chill out. I need you to chill out. Especially at the Walmart. So then after they were calm, the aliens then floated the two men up on the ship. Okay. Also, why, when you get abducted by aliens, do, why is the only thing they do physical exams? Like they're so advanced. And the only thing you want to do is look at my ass. Oh, that's why. Cause they don't have fucking legs or asses. So they want to check out. Yeah. So they want to look at your legs. Cause they're like, what the hell are those? Um, and then they were examined and then the aliens were very nice and put them back beside the river right where they found them so they were near an air force base again this is the 70s so they go home they call the air force base and the air force base is like we don't know what the fuck you're talking about which i mean they would say anyways but still but i mean what did they say like some of your aliens must have gotten out like <laughs> i think they were asking if they were like oh were you doing like I don't know, flying aircrafts or something. You know what I mean? To try and blame it on that. Who cares about the aircraft when you have legless, buttless, lobster hand man? Like, right. So they were like, okay, okay well, the Air Force <laughs> doesn't give two shits about us. So let's call the sheriff's department. So according to Parker, they both passed sobriety and polygraph tests, which we'll come back here in a minute. So while they are sitting in like an interrogation room, unbeknownst to them, they have recording going. So they're recording everything they say. Like I said, neither of them knew about it. And really the interesting thing is not when they were being questioned, but when they were alone, Parker had told Hickson, who was the older man, don't say anything. They'll come back. They could have hurt us. And he was like genuinely frightened. So anybody that's listened to that is, is like, wow, he was actually like fucking scared of something. And then on that same night, the police department got over 50 calls of people saying that they saw lights in the sky or weird flashes. So I'm like, that one seems the most legit out of the three. Like you have all these other people that have seen weird shit too. So I feel like that one makes it a little more believable. Um, but then again, like discrepancies, people say, you know, they did it. It was a hoax. They actually said that Hickman refused to get polygraphed. Even though earlier he had said, oh, yeah, we passed. He was acting kind of weird. They said, you know, he has this weird, questionable behavior. And again, his stories changed. The younger guy, Parker, he refused to talk about it until like 2013, I think. And then he wrote a book. But so for a very long time, he says that he wouldn't tell his family about it. He didn't tell friends. He like moved around when people like put two and two together and then he said what finally did, um, and he decided to write the book, was he went back to his hometown, wherever this happened, was at a funeral, and people were, like, asking him all this stuff. And so he finally decided that he would come forward and tell his tale. So, but yeah, that. What's the name of that book? I don't know. I didn't write it down. It was something lame, like Travis's, too, when I got alien abducted, anal probing. All right. Oh my god. Okay, we'll find that. We'll put it uh, on the website. 
we'll find the name of the book though yep all right that's my aliens and best friends stories what do you got for us uh well first of all let's i i just want we gotta explore this a little bit because doesn't this just sound to you like a like a bad drug trip like <laughs> like isn't it possible that these guys ate some magic mushrooms and like hallucinated for sure and that's my first thought but like i said calvin uh and charles said that they were sobriety tested and they passed so they were at least yeah, but that's the 70s that's the 70s the sobriety test was checking if they were like drunk for sure can you stand on one foot yeah okay so my bad this this fucking book came out in 2018 oh wow and it's called Pascagoula, which is apparently where he was abducted. So Pascagoula, the closest encounter, my story. Like, what the fuck? Also, can you spell Gugula? <laughs> I think it's the town. P-A-S-C-A-G-O-U-L-A. Pascagoula. Oh. Whatever. Also, Pascagoula. Yeah, that's where the buttless aliens live in Pascagoula. Oh, yeah. They're in Mississippi on the Pascagoula River. Um, also, the cover of this book is, like, blue. And to the right, it looks, it's, like, superimposed. On the right, it kind of looks like a building with windows. And then, like, his face is right in the middle. And then, like, over his, there's not really a shoulder, but to the side of his head, there's, like, this alien standing there. It's terrible. What is that picture? That picture is from the 70s for sure. Yes. It was his first selfie. He put it on there. Um, the paperback oh. is freaking $26. <laughs> it has 187 ratings for four stars. So somebody somewhere is reading that. 187? Book. Yeah. And you know, not everybody that reads it leaves a rating. Yeah, that's true. It's crazy. All right. Well, good. Good best friends and aliens we are are we going into the woods next week when i'm visiting you are we going somewhere wood like for sure yeah don't leave me if i get abducted you better just fucking stay there until i reappear like do not leave until you reappear okay <laughs> also we're not gonna do magic mushrooms i think that's the moral of the story drugs are bad i feel like drugs out in the middle of nowhere they, that guy probably saw a slug he was probably like, look at this slug. Ah, like. <laughs> oh, I don't know how many UFO books are on Amazon, but his is number 497. Hey, top 500. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope when I write a book, I'm in the top 500. I seriously, like, I would be stoked for that. <laughs> Oh, shit. And then in 2019, the story continues. New evidence. Where the <laughs> fuck did you get new evidence from the 70s? Ah. Okay. That's enough about drugs yeah. and crab fingers. I don't, I don't. What do you got you, Yours was today? light and kind of fun. Uh, mine's a little heavier. I went dark this week. We kind of switched roles. Awesome. So I am going to be talking about the story of the murder of Skylar Niece. And this happened back in 2012, not a really long time ago. The internet was around. <laughs> so this happened in West Virginia and Skylar Niece was your typical 16 year old, had kind of grown up in this town, real energetic, bubbly, fun girl. Gross. Right. They never, I feel like had <laughs> I been abducted or murdered in high school, nobody was going to say what a lovely girl I was. <laughs> they were going to be like, that girl. <laughs> she lit up every room she walked in. Like, Everyone loved her. Bitch, no one loved me. I had two yeah. friends and my favorite thing was black eyeliner. Yeah. Like, let's go. I, they would be like, who? Who are you talking about? Who died? <laughs> he doesn't even go here. And then the one person that did remember would be like, oh, that girl, she was a bitch. She probably deserved it. Okay. that's <laughs> All right. 
Skylar niece. Back to our nice, sweet 16 year old girl. Skylar niece did not deserve this. She actually seemed really nice. Um, but you know, she's a 16 year old girl. So I'm sure there was some, you know, hormones raging. Anyways, Skylar. Drama. Right. Okay. So Skylar is 16 years old and she has two best friends. These girls are inseparable. They are the three amigos. So it's Skylar and Sheila. And Sheila, she had known since she was eight years old. So they go way back. They literally grew up together. Skylar's dad says, you did not see one without the other. And if they weren't together, they were on the phone together. It's just that like really deep bond that you have with the person that you kind of like that understands you at that age. Like those are rough ages and best friends, right? Best friends. Skylar and Sheila, their freshman year of high school, they meet Rachel. And the dynamic here is really interesting. So Skylar's a little bit of like kind of the bubbly, really like sweet, outgoing one. Sheila is kind of, she was described as like a little bit more of the troublemaker, you know, had a real attitude problem, just wasn't, you know, she was kind of the, the bad apple. So she would have been yeah. friends with us. <laughs> she would have been our friend. She was the bad apple friend. And then um, Rachel was grew up in a really strict religious household. And so very, she went to like church camp, very Christian. And, you know, she was really great. She was also very active in drama. And so she was kind of the star of the drama department and did a, played the lead in a lot of the high school productions. So you have like a really interesting dynamic happening with these three girls. What started happening was Skylar was kind of being left out a little bit. She was starting to become the third wheel, even though her and Sheila had gone way back. This was evident in really small ways, but it was really upsetting to her. Like these were her two friends, especially one that she'd known since she was a kid. And so there started, you know, kind of this girl, mean girl kind of back and forth. And which happens with your friends, right? You get in fights, you get in tiffs. Sheila and Rachel were spending up. Being a three people group of friends is so hard because I feel like it's always going to be more or two at a time. Yeah. I think you and I experienced that dynamic a little bit in high school where it's like, you know, you kind of end up, somebody always kind of ends up feeling like the third wheel no matter what. Yeah. But in this instance, it was getting to the point that it was really starting to hurt Skylar's feelings and the friendships were deteriorating because of it. Sheila. And this was freshman year? So this is actually, so they met Rachel freshman year. This is their all 16. So this was like in um, the summer before their junior year, I imagine, because Sheila could drive. Gotcha. So Sheila and Rachel are doing this thing where like they'll show up to school and they'll be dressed alike. Or, you know, they'll wear the skirt, but nobody told Skylar. And so they try to... We wear pink on Wednesdays, yeah. <laughs> okay? Get it together. Right. Everyone knows that. Well, Skylar was not getting the memos. And so, like, that hurt. And then, because this was in, like, the golden age of social media, right? This is the big blow up of social media, Facebook, Twitter, in the early or 2010s right there. And so, you know, on all the social media, you can kind of see the progression. It's very interesting and to to see, I like saw pictures and stuff online and it's like, you know, they're kind of all together in a group. And then it really, it turns into just like Sheila and Rachel and like Skylar's in the background. And, you know, then instead of lining up all together, it's kind of like Sheila, then Rachel, then Skylar at the end. And it just, it really started to bother her. You know, they're having this kind of really tumultuous summer where they're fighting and they're kind of whipping back and forth on Twitter. Things just aren't looking great. So in July. So you're going to go find new friends, right? right? Like just get new friends. (laughs) So in July. Somehow I don't think that's where the story's going. No, unfortunately. Wow. No, (laughs) I was going to make a a badly (laughs) timed joke there. We'll just move on. So July 6th, 2012 is the last day that anybody sees Skylar. She is kind of making up with with Rachel and Sheila. Their social media uh, indicates that they kind of made up and that, you know, they're friends again and everything's okay. So on July 6th, 2012, Skylar sneaks out of her house and Sheila and Rachel are there to pick her up and they're going to hang out. They're going to smoke some weed. They're just going to, you know, chill. Everything's good. So this is what Skylar thinks is going to happen. They're just going to hang out for the night. 
Well, the next morning, July 7th, Skylar's dad gets up really early, goes to work. Um, he comes back in the afternoon and he notices that Skylar's bedroom's door is still closed. He opens it. She's not there. He ends up calling Sheila right away because, right, their best friends are inseparable. And ask Sheila, you know. That's the first person you call. Exactly. Ask Sheila, hey, have you seen Skylar? And she says, no, I, I haven't. And he asks when the last time she talked to her was. And she said, well, last night around midnight. Skylar's parents are kind of waiting, kind of figuring out, you know, they want to see what, what happens if she shows up. Well, her shift at the local Wendy's started at 4 p.m. And about 4.15, uh, the manager calls the house to ask if Skylar's going to come to work. And at that point, her parents really start freaking out. It's not like her. She doesn't miss work. She doesn't miss school. Um, at that point, her parents call the police and they report her missing. A little bit later that night, so now this is July 7th, a little bit later that night, Skylar, sorry, Sheila calls Skylar's mom and says, I need to tell you what really happened last night. And she proceeds to tell Skylar's mom that they picked her up, they went and smoked some weed, and then they dropped her back off at the end of the road. Okay, wait. So it's, you picked her up at midnight, you went out, drove around, smoked weed. It's been at least an hour, hour and a half, I would imagine. One thirty in the morning, you drop off your single friend by herself not in front of her house, but down the fucking street. Yeah. Okay, just huff at home. We'll see you later. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they're living in a small town in West Virginia. They're 16. You know, what are the odds? But that but that's kind of what that's kind of what ends up being the theory for a little bit is that her friends dropped her off at home. She either snuck back in and then left again. Or they were saying maybe somebody followed them and like was watching her like kind of break back into her room and then abducted her. So at this point, like it goes, you know, statewide, they're doing, you know, searches and Rachel and Sheila are participating. They're, they're trying to, to find her. They're, you know, participating in the vigils there. I mean, there is one story that Sheila actually went to the house and asked if she could like just go in Skylar's room because she missed her so much. And she's like sitting on her bed crying and Skylar's mom is like comforting her and telling her like- that's what you do, right? Your right. best friends miss- Yeah, like this kid grew and you're up like, with your daughter. find her. Yeah. yeah that's so, terrible. Like, exactly. Nobody, nobody's finding her. And so at this point, like the cops do start putting some pressure on Sheila and Rachel and asking them more questions and trying to get more in depth about like, okay, what's, you know, is this the real story? Because when exactly did right. you see her? Yeah. So, you know, they have collected some evidence, right? Again, there are, you know, security cameras outside the apartment building that Skylar lives in. And so they get the footage and they see that Rachel and Sheila picked Skylar up closer to 1230, not at 12 o'clock, like she said. And so this is the first crack in the story. This is the first thing that gets the cops kind of wondering if there's something deeper going on. But I mean, we're teenagers, we're sneaking out. Who the hell is paying attention to it was 12 or 1230? Like, yeah, we're driving around. We decided to come grab her. Right. So the next crack in the story came when Sheila volunteered to take a polygraph test. And the cops thought it was, is, was kind of strange that she volunteered to do this because at this point they were really just question, like kind of questioning them, but not really like they knew something was off, but they didn't necessarily suspect them. And so they thought that it was interesting that she just went ahead and volunteered to take a polygraph. So they didn't ask her. She was just like, oh, hey, it's Tuesday. I got nothing to do. Let's take a polygraph. Well, yeah, because they just kept telling the police, like, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. You know, we didn't do anything. We didn't, you know. And yeah. so at some point, this girl, Sheila, just said, well, fine, I'll take a polygraph test. And it was really interesting that one of the police officers on the case said that she felt it was just total arrogance, that she was just super arrogant about, it's fine, I'll take this test and then you guys can just leave me alone. This is what she's thinking, right, as a 16 year old. She takes a polygraph test and actually fails miserably. Oh, like, good. Like totally failed. <laughs> Rachel had also like, 
you know, after this got going, they had asked Rachel if she would take a polygraph test. She said yes, that she would. But on the way to the police station to take the test, she jumped out of her father's car and ran away. Holy shit. So you couldn't just yeah. say no. You were like, no, I'm going to jump from a moving vehicle right but that doesn't sound so right at at this point like everything's spider webbing like things are adding up why are these girls freaking out they're not really cooperating with the police you know they're and they're being ostracized by this entire community because they're you know Sheila is really defensive when anybody tries to talk to her Rachel is just becoming a mess like she's just getting well and Sheila's that black apple or the you know the, yeah, the, bad, apple. the bad apple anyway so people are like oh yeah of course she had something to do with it right but these were really like they were really popular pretty girls and so you know they're not really used to being kind of shut out of things about six months after the disappearance of Skylar Rachel has a nervous breakdown and her mom ends up calling 911 uh and you can hear listen to the 911 call and she's just like screaming and freaking out and losing it in the background and so the police show up and they take Rachel to a psych ward and she's in a psych ward for a couple days and then she's released and after she's released they immediately drive her to the police station where she confesses the first thing that she says to the police officer is we stabbed her what yeah (laughs) so This is totally different than anybody is expecting. You know, they kind of thought maybe the girls were involved or they knew more than they were saying, but nobody expected Rachel to admit that they killed Skylar. So Rachel pretty much like tells, tells it all. She says that they had been plotting the murder for months while they were in science class. Okay, wait. Skylar was the one that was feeling left out, right? Yes. So instead of just being like, hey, we still don't want to be your friend, we're going to fucking kill you? Like, you'd think it'd be the reverse. Like, Skylar would be the one to flip out and be like, I'm going to kill one of you. Right. What the hell? Right. So, um, yeah. So as Rachel's telling them, like, she's literally like, yeah, we were in science class discussing how to murder our friend and they decided that they would go with knives because neither one of the girls knew how to get a gun um what happened to let's kick her ass on the parking lot or ghost her it's fucking what 2012 we have social media just stop (laughs) fucking talking to her right and then and then rachel also admitted this is i thought this was a weird thing to admit but she also admitted that they kind of hurried the murder because she was supposed to leave for church camp the following week what the fuck and she wanted she wanted to hurry up and kill her before she went to church um i have shit to do next <laughs> week can we like wrap this up right like isn't that awful <laughs> it's terrible oh my god yeah so she lets them know that um that they did pick skylar up that night and they actually drove across straight state lines into pennsylvania and into this little town and the town's name is super ironic um they drove into brave pennsylvania that's terrible and the story goes so so they drive across state lines they uh find this little wooded area i think that they had been to before all three of the girls get out of the car they walk down the road a little while a ways to a grassy patch they sit down they're gonna smoke this weed and then they're like oh we don't have a lighter so Skylar, they tell Skylar to go back to the car and get them a lighter. Skylar stands up. She starts walking back to the car. Rachel and Sheila literally count one, two, three, and then they attack. They pull out their knives and they just start attacking her. So no. Skylar starts running. She takes off running. She's, you know, like at least she had that foresight. Rachel actually ends up tackling her to the ground and holding her down while Sheila continues this attack on her. So this goes on and the autopsy report revealed that there were more than 50 individual stab wounds. How do you stab someone that much? Like how fucking pissed off were you? There's like some serious rage going on here, right? Serious rage. After Rachel describes the actual attack, she tells them that they wanted to bury her but the ground was too hard 
and they didn't want to get dirty. What the fuck? Oh my right. god. So instead of actually gross. like digging a hole, they just kind of drag her down the road a ways and cover her body with leaves and branches and they don't even do that good of a job of it. I, I can't even believe that six months went by without somebody stumbling across it. So after they did that with the body, they, she says that they went back to the car. They had brought a change of clothes. So they changed their clothes, found a dumpster, threw the dirty clothes away. Like had, they had bleach wipes. They wiped the car out and then just like went home. So like the- So really- if she hadn't lost her fucking mind with guilt, would we have caught that? It's totally possible that they wouldn't have. So she tells the cop this whole story. And finally, at the end of it, he asks her, why, you know, why did you do this? And she just says, we didn't like her anymore. We didn't like her anymore. Holy shit. Which just feels like, it just feels so anticlimactic, right? Like there's like. Yeah. It wasn't like you stole my boyfriend (laughs) or you cheated on my test and I failed and lost my college scholarship. Like, nah, we were just tired of her hanging out and she didn't get the hint to like stay away. Yeah. So, so at this point, like everybody's dumbfounded. The cops, Skylar's parents, Sheila's parents, Rachel, like everybody's just like, what the fuck are you talking about you killed her like it's just it's literally unfathomable after you know the way that these girls were and just how they acted and at this point even though she's confessed even though she's told the cops everything they don't arrest her they're gonna go ahead and use her in this investigation what yeah so they wire her up and they tell her to go hang out with Sheila and, you know, try to get some information. For whatever reason, it didn't work. Either, you know, she wasn't asking the right questions or Sheila wasn't really buying into it. And Sheila's like, we don't talk about what happened last summer. Like, come on. <laughs> right. Take a vow of silence. Come on. So, so that, so that doesn't, so that lead doesn't really pan out. But also, like, why did they need that? Like, you have her eyewitness testimony that we killed her. I wonder if they were worried that, like, she did it alone and just was trying to blame it on her or something. That totally could be. The information in the documentaries that I watched didn't really explore that. But, yeah, they just said that they were trying to get more evidence. I think at this point, Rachel was still holding out on where they had done it. She, so they didn't have a body. They didn't have any murder weapons, you know. There was nothing in the car, yeah. This girl had just been in the psych ward, like. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, so, I mean, I think that there's just some extenuating circumstances about, like, okay, well, yeah, we have a confession, but we don't have anything to back up the confession. Well, and like you said, too, like, nobody believes that. Like, nobody thinks that could be plausible at all. So maybe they're all like, well, she was just in the psych ward. Maybe she's just completely lost it. Yeah, or maybe she's just feeling so guilty that something happened to her friend. You know, like, it just, yeah. they're just not a hundred. I mean, they believe her, the cops believe her, I think, but they're just not a hundred percent sure that this is accurate. They have to have yeah. all the information. So they decide to do um, another swab of Sheila's car. And this time they find a couple drops of blood and they decide to do DNA on the, on the blood. While they are doing the DNA testing, they go ahead and release this information to the public that Skylar Nies has been confirmed dead, murdered, but they don't say who murdered right exactly thank you (laughs) so the suspects were so they don't say who the suspects are and so because of that like sheila is over here like playing the role still yeah like she's crying she's upset she's posting on twitter that like you know skylar you'll always be my best friend forever and just like i miss you so much the pain is real she's like tweeting all these things But then simultaneously, she's also tweeting. It's literally her fucking fault. Right. And then she's also tweeting, like, it's almost like she's taunting the cops. So yeah, so then she's also tweeting stuff like, wonder if there's an SVU that they don't figure it out. And then this, this tweet was really, this next tweet was really what kind of the cops were like, she's fucking with us is she tweeted we really did go on three. <gasps> that is so fucked up oh my god 
First off, have you never seen any freaking CSI, SVU, any fucking crime show? Like, why are you talking shit on Twitter? Low profile. This is the arrogance of a teenager, right? Like, she's cute. She's always gotten away with things. She doesn't think anybody's going to suspect her. I mean, just, yeah. The arrogance is crazy. In the interim, the blood does come back as being Skylar's blood type or, you know, the DNA matches her, the blood to Skylar. So they- Which isn't, was it like a little bit or like a lot? No, it was a little bit because the girls had wiped out the car. You know what I mean? I'm like, there's probably blood in my car. That's disgusting. I better not murder anybody. They'll search my car and be like, you murdered 15 people. Well, yeah, I mean, you got kids though, right? Yeah, I'm definitely sure there's there's DNA all over your car. Yeah, Jacob freaking was picking his scab in the car the other day and he's like, can I have a napkin? And I'm like, why? Gross. Oh, my leg's bleeding. <laughs> so yeah, so they find the blood. It's Skylar's. They're going to arrest Sheila because it's her car. So, and this cracked me up. They arrested her. So like immediately they go to arrest her. They waited this whole time, but they're going to make like, they're going to make a spectacle out of this. Because now it's been what, like seven, eight months, probably like. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So they arrested her one morning. She was at breakfast with her family at the local Cracker Barrel. Fuck Cracker Barrel. (laughs) Seriously, fuck Cracker Barrel. But we're in West Virginia, so. Uh, yeah, um, I can't say anything. I live in Tennessee. We have one too, but you know, make better choices. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she, they ended up arresting her in the Cracker Barrel parking lot as they were leaving breakfast that morning. That is like the level of petty I aspire to be. Like, no, I'm just not going to go to your house and get you. Fuck you. We're going in the middle of the morning where they have their fucking breakfast rush and we're gonna arrest you in public yeah yeah and this is a small town like people saw good for them now at this point some additional information starts coming out and the cops start to believe that there was more to the motive than just they didn't like her anymore And the plot twist here is that Bad Seed Sheila and church camp Rachel had begun engaging in a sexual relationship. Of course they did. And when she went to church camp, it was probably Pray Away the Gay. And then she came home and lost her fucking mind. And this is why you don't go to church, especially church camp. But yeah. But so... But even then, like, again, one, Skylar didn't want to get with you, right? Well, well, no. So what had happened was they had been at this party. They'd been drinking. They're having a sleepover with the three of them. They think Skylar's asleep. They proceed to engage in, you know, sexual activity. Skylar is not asleep, and she ends up kind of witnessing this, but she doesn't want to let them know. You know, I don't know. Like, it's high school, right? So, like, She's going to be weird about it and they're going to figure out that she knows and then she's tweeting shit like that they know what they did. So, yes. you know, and then Skylar was tweeting like I could tell everything, you know, and bring this whole school down or, you know, like oh, so social media will be the fall <laughs> of the world. So, you know, I think that there was some jealousy on her part cuz obviously like her best best friend since she was a little kid is choosing to be you know have this different kind of relationship with this other girl that's supposed to be her other best friend so i'm sure there was just and she and she already felt left yeah. out so like that on top well, and of it, it makes sense kind of yeah. why the two girls were becoming more close and and kind of leaving her out because you know they're having this like secret relationship and no one literally wants a real third will when you're dating no bad enough when you're friends well also it sounds to me like you know like two young christian girls in west virginia like i mean can't tell anybody right like talk about being ostracized for murder you definitely would have been kicked out of the cool kids club for being gay yeah that's what they think the real motive behind it was is that they didn't want skylar spreading this information to tell Yeah. yeah Well, and see, and that kind of makes more sense, too, because 
you can't just not be friends with her because now she knows this dark secret about you. So, yeah, that kind of, I feel like that makes a little more sense in this batshit crazy right. case. So, so that's kind of the, the whole story of, of the murder and what happened. Uh, Rachel ended up pleading guilty to murder in the second degree. And she was sentenced in 2013 to 30 years. And she was eligible for parole after 10. Sheila actually uh, pleaded not guilty <laughs> and was pretty uh, defiant. Shocker. But the state of Pennsylvania threatened to um, charge her with additional felonies because she had crossed state lines. Oh, crossing state lines. Once yeah. she kind of knew that there was going to be even more charges brought against her, she went ahead and took a plea deal and ended up pleading guilty to one count of kidnapping, one count of murder in the first degree, and one count of conspiracy to commit murder because it had all been kind of pre-planned. Planned out, yeah. And she was... She didn't show any remorse throughout the entire sentencing. The only time that she showed any kind of emotion was when she actually changed her plea to guilty. She was a little upset about that, but the judge and everybody kind of involved was just more that she, it wasn't about remorse. She just, she was sorry she got caught. Yeah. And then she was sorry that the only way she wasn't going to get the death penalty or life in prison was to be like yeah i did it yeah even though she didn't show any remorse she was sent uh under west virginia uh law she was sentenced to life in prison with mercy which meant that undefinable life sentence so you are charged with life but you are eligible she was eligible for parole after 15 years now and she was only 16 right so 31 you're fucking still a baby. Also, you're, you're in like life your ahead of you. Crime killing it. <laughs> right? And she spent her life in prison or yeah. college for criminals. And who knows? That's scary. So, yeah. So, even though she's eligible, she would still have to go through an entire parole board. And um, nobody thinks that it's likely that she would be released, uh, especially not the first time that she's up for parole. Well, and especially because she's probably still not remorseful. Right. And so uh, the with mercy just means that um, she can appeal for, not appeal, but that she can apply go before for the parole, parole board every, I think it's every 36 months after the first uh, 15 years. So I don't know if you told me, I might've forgot because my brain doesn't work. Um did they like tell the cops where the body was or did the cops ever find it? No. So they did end up after Sheila was arrested, they did end up telling them where the body was and they went and found it and got to bring her home and bury her properly. That's so sad for her parents. That's t like, you think this kid, you're like, I've known her since she was eight. They're best friends. By then she's like, your adopted child. And you're like, yeah, she's totally safe. She went with her. We don't have anything to worry about. And then to find out that the, like, closest person to your child is the one who killed her, like, that's just unimaginable. I can't even imagine the sense of betrayal, you know? Like, of course, there's all the other feelings of anger and grief, and you just lost your... And she was an only child, so, I mean, you know... Oh, God. Um, but then also just, like, the massive amount of betrayal of loving somebody and like they were your own daughter letting them into your home something interesting was that rachel actually did apologize at her sentencing and her family also released a statement of apology but sheila has refused to what was the family apology we're sorry we raised this shitty human being um we'll do better next time <laughs> Uh, no, it was, <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> uh, no, they they said things like, you know, just how, how much, how sorry they were for the amount of pain that Skylar's parents were in and that they couldn't even imagine and that like, and they just totally condone or, you know, didn't condone the entire thing. They were just, were like, this is awful and, and we don't even have words to 
describe like what you're going through so well and I imagine it's like the same way for their parents like that was their adopted daughter yeah she had grown up with their kid and their kid killed him and they're like what the fuck are you doing right that's terrible it's terrible all around for everyone it is but Sheila Sheila she never apologized like to this day she's never offered an apology and in a Dateline 2020, in a 2020 episode that was done in 2017 about this case, they spoke with Skylar's parents, obviously, in the interview. And Skylar's mom actually said that she kind of appreciated that Sheila had never apologized because she she put it in the way of like, don't stand up there and lie to me about something that... Yeah, it would have been yeah. fake. You don't mean right. it. And so... Um, you're not sorry. You're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry that you fucking killed my daughter and stabbed her fucking 50 times. Exactly. So I kind of thought that was like an interesting take. I wonder, you know, if other families of victims feel that way, that they don't want the apology. It always feels really self-serving when you commit, a, when you see somebody that has committed like a super horrible crime and then they like get up in front of the judge and you're like, you don't mean that shit. Or even if you... Even if they mean it, nobody's going to believe you. Well, and usually they do it before the fucking sentencing hearing. So, yeah, you don't mean it. You're just trying to be like, look, I'm so sorry. Give me a lighter sentence. So, yeah, no, fuck you. Don't even stand up. Yeah. So, yeah, so that is the story of the murder of Skylar Niece. And one thing that I, that was just a very small silver lining out of this horrible story is that when they first reported, when Skylar's parents first reported her missing, they didn't do any kind of Amber alert because she didn't meet the criteria of being like an actual kidnap victim. But now her parents, uh, you know, helped push this legislation through that changed the entire Amber alert law so that anytime somebody is missing, they can go ahead and activate those Amber alerts, which you may have seen um, I've gotten them. We live near like an old folks home and sometimes people go wandering. <laughs> so like we've, Yay, dementia yeah, patients. so we've gotten alerts about like, you know, an at risk or, you know, a, a disabled person. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, so Skylar niece's family kind of helped push that along so that the Amber alerts were used in a more um, encompassing way for any, for different kind of missing people, not just kidnapped victims. I really like when, like you said, it's very small and it doesn't do anywhere near bringing their child back, but you're helping protect future kids. And I just like, just like the original Amber alert, you know, her daughter was kidnapped and murdered and, and now she has this law that even before that legislation changed it a little bit, had done so much to help find missing and endangered children. Right. Yeah. So a little dark. But it was. <laughs> your a- but my, your aliens, my aliens were made up your for aliens it. were good. It balanced them out. Uh, you can either kill your best friend or you can abandon them to aliens, or you can just be super rad and be an awesome support system for another human being. Nah, that sounds like too much work. <laughs> um, so what is our topic for next week? I'm so excited. Our topic next week, we're going to be talking about Tennessee. And the reason that is super awesome is because next Wednesday, when our episode drops, we will both be in Tennessee. Yay! So, yeah, it'll be super exciting. Yes. Have you found your story yet? You know what? I I have a couple, but I'm trying to narrow them down to, to what I want to do. I have mine, and it's, like, insane. So I'm super excited. Ooh, this is going to be good. I think we're going to get to record in person together, so that'll be fun. It will. Uh, maybe we'll do a mini episode when I make you watch the Fear Street movies, because they're Ooh. really good. Yeah, a mini That'd episode. Fun. fun. A small All right. I love it. Um, so go rate, review, subscribe, like us on social media. Um, the number two girls on a campfire.com, Facebook, Instagram. 
I'm kind of a slacker on Instagram. I haven't really posted a lot, but I'm pretty good on Facebook. I've been posting. Uh, you don't know because you don't have social media, but I found this meme and it was like two cats, but one of them looks like insane and like his, his fur is like wet and he looks like one of his eyes like scrunched up and it says aliens, but it has like a W in it, like in cat speak. So I posted that the other day as like a, a teaser. So even though I do not have social media, my wife does and she follows us. So she shows me what you post. <laughs> Yay! I thought that one was so cute. I was like, yeah. I thought it was great. It was good. I, it made me laugh. <laughs> All right. Well, next That's week. Super exciting. I'll be in Tennessee and it'll be great. All right. Thank you so much for your funny alien awesome. story. I feel bad. Next time we're going to do the funny one at the end. I feel bad ending on like a sad note. <laughs> yeah. Or we have to find something to end that's funny. We'll have to think about yeah. that. All, All right. right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see, see you around, around the, the campfire. campfire.